The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Last week, we were in, uh, well, we're in a two-week mini-series, right, called Strongholds. Um, we were talking about breaking down the walls that Satan has built up in our life, okay? And so we're going to recap here real quick. We said last week that a stronghold is a mindset, a value system, or a thought process that hinders your growth, okay? We talked about that. They're lies, right? Strongholds are lies uh, that Satan has built up as a fortress in our life, primarily in our mind. Strongholds are false truths that we have heard either from the world or from the enemy himself. We have believed upon a lie, and therefore he has built up a wall or a fortress that we are encamped in, and we are seeking to break those down so that we can experience freedom in our life. Um, we, we made mention that sin, fear, a lack of faith, doubt, and a worldly outlook on life are all strongholds. That last part's pretty important. Fear and doubt and worry and lack of faith are obvious, man. A worldly outlook on life is indeed a stronghold. Um, we also said where we run often leads us further into captivity. Those who run to the world will find that, that what they run to may end up running them, right? So we talked about how sometimes uh, we have things uh, that we run to, maybe recreation, maybe it's uh, a particular sin. It could be anything, right? But something, sometimes we, we run to things to get away from, uh, uh, from pain or from fear or from worry or from doubt, strongholds, to run away from them or to try to hide ourselves from them. Um, we will run to something that may actually end up running our lives. We always, when dealing with strongholds, when dealing with lies, when dealing with fears, always need to be running to Jesus Christ. So that is uh, a, a breakdown of last week. And so this week, uh, I was like, man, there's so, there's so many different directions that we can go with strongholds. Like, it's such a, um, it's such a powerful um, area to speak on. The word has so much to say uh, on knocking down strongholds. But I, the Lord, I've just felt strongly that we were to be in Peter. So we're going to be, as you see in the bulletin, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 3 specifically today. But I wanted to just break down uh, our good friend and brother in Christ, Peter, for you guys real quick. Some of you are very familiar with Peter and the, and the story of, of an incredible man, um, and some of you don't, and so I'm going to give you just a, a little a brief history, right? Peter first encountered Jesus with, with his brother while they were fishing, right? And Jesus said, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, right? A very famous, very common passage, one of uh, particular joy for me as I love to fish for actual fish, uh, also love to fish for men uh, as the Lord leads. Certainly, um, there is nothing gr- more honorable, nothing more fruitful, nothing more fulfilling that we can do in our own lives than that is to fish for men in Christ. And certainly as we're talking about strongholds, that is that's the whole point. We're talking about why do we need to knock down strongholds so that we can fish for men, so that we can go therefore and make disciples as Jesus had commanded us. We can be a good and healthy witness, an ambassador 
for the king, right? An ambassador, like a U.S. ambassador will go to the Middle East, right? And he lives there. He is sent there, and he represents the entire nation of the United States as the ambassador. The president sends this guy and says, you are fit for the job, right? We all, everyone in this room who is in Christ is an ambassador for the kingdom, like the ambassador is for the U.S. We are that for the kingdom of heaven, And God says, you are worthy. You are the best representation that I have of the kingdom of God on this side of eternity. And I'm going to send you out in a specific place to be of witness, right? So that's what all of this is for. Strongholds get in the way of our effectiveness to be used in an ambassador-like way, okay? So Peter... Jesus encounters them when they're fishing. He says, you know, put your poles down, come and follow me. I will show you uh, how to become fishers of men. Um, you know, Peter it was extremely zealous, right? Like he was, he was bold, man. I, I kind of feel like at times I, I can relate with Peter sometimes. Man, Peter had so much energy and, and, and zeal for the Lord. Uh, but there were several times where Jesus himself had to rebuke Peter, right? Like in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying so hard, excuse me, that he's sweating blood to the Father, right? He's asking if there's any way that this cup, the cup of salvation, could pass from Jesus. He's begging the Father, Lord, uh, is there any other way? Father, is there any other way that, that, that my people, that your people can be saved? Is there any other way that we can pay for their sin apart from me going to the cross? The Father said, there's not. You have to go. And so, uh, as, the, as the guards come to get Jesus, what does he do, man? He, he swipes the sword and cuts the, uh, one of the, 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 the guards' ears off, right? And, and so, and Jesus, you know, said, get behind me, Satan, right? He, he rebukes Peter. But there, there's also a time where they're in the, um, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here a bit, but there's a time when they're in uh, Caesarea Philippi, up in the northland of the country of Israel. And they were literally looking, Jesus took his disciples up there and he was showed them a cave. There's a cave there. Molly and I actually had the good fortune to actually be there. It's really neat. There's a cave and there's water, a spring that flows out of this cave. And the pagan worshipers, the, the highly um, the religious of the day, but they were, they, were, they were ungodly. So these were wicked people, the pagans of the day, um, demonic worshipers. They believed that this was actually the gateway to hell, right? And so Jesus took his disciples up there. And he asked them, right? Who do men say that I am? And some of them said, well, you're a good teacher. Some say you're a teacher. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Some say um, that, that you're uh, just a good man. And, 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 and Jesus asked them, he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, man, our good brother Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And the Lord says, yes, Peter. Yes, yes that is it, man. Up, upon that rock. Upon that foundation, upon that truth, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? So Peter, man, he had a glorious moment. But then he, you know, he goes and he cuts the ear off of the, of the guard, and he's, then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He's like, oh, crap, you know, I screwed up. And, and that's just Peter, man. That's the spirit of Peter. And, you know, and, 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 of course, we all know the story that Jesus prophesied that Peter was going to deny the Lord three times before the rooster crowed, right? And, and sure as sin, here, there he was in, on Solomon's porch in the temple, and the guards come out and say to Peter, were you, were you the guy following Jesus around? Were you the one partaking in the ministry of the guy who proclaims to be the son of God? Jesus said, never knew the guy. Don't have a clue. 
He just outright denied boldly that he didn't have a clue who Jesus was. And so this is, at, this is the same Peter who, you know, a year or two before had said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, he got all fired up. So I have a heart for Peter but this, one of the greatest stories is in John 21, some of you know it, Breakfast by the Sea, right, to kind of close out my intro on Peter here, just to give you guys a flavor of this guy. Peter is, you can imagine how down on himself he was. He let the Lord down. He denied that he even knew Jesus, let alone that he was the Christ or the Son of the living God. And so you could imagine what pain and shame and guilt. You could imagine what strongholds he had in his life. Like, I can only imagine what the devil was telling Peter, how worthless he was, how he, how he let the Lord down, how he betrayed the Lord almost to the same degree that Judas did, right? And yet, there's Jesus, the resurrected Lord on the shore. This is in John 21. I won't read it, but I'm paraphrasing. Jesus was parked there on the shore in the resurrected body, and he's making breakfast, and he's cooking some fish. And Peter and the guys are back on the, back on the water, you know, drowning a worm, just trying to catch a little something. And somebody, and I think it must, it must have been John. John said, it's the Lord. You know, they look and see it's the resurrected Jesus. Man, Peter's out of the boat. He jumps into the water, and he swims to the, to the shore. And I could only imagine the embrace that Peter had with, with, with Jesus, his resurrected Lord, his buddy, his friend, the guy that he spent several years with, doing ministry with. And Jesus restored Peter three times. He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know that I do. And so Peter was fully restored. That's exactly how we are. The story of Peter, I can relate so much. And so uh, that gives you a little bit of a breakdown and a heart for the man of Peter who's wrote this letter. And so please join me in 1 Peter chapter 3. I will read verses 13 through 17 for us. Again, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. It's in your bulletin if you did not bring your Bibles. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Your first point in your bulletin is it takes courage to witness, and to be an ambassador for Christ. Strongholds, particularly fear and doubt, are the only thing keeping us from fulfilling God's calling to lead spiritually. So it takes courage. And of course, I wish I had time to preach on the entire book of Joshua or uh, a half dozen other books in Scripture that preach and teach us about the courage that we have in Christ. But Peter here, man, this is, this is Peter now filled with the Spirit. Right? Peter was not filled with the Holy Spirit prior to the resurrection of Christ or before the, um, um, oh, I'm, I'm having a brain flub here. The, um, uh, help me out, team. Pentecost, day of Pentecost. Thank you, brain fart. Um, so the day of Pentecost, right? Peter was not filled with the Spirit until the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, right? And so now we are reading, we are gleaning 
we are learning from the Apostle Peter, now filled with the Spirit, he is proclaiming to us that we should sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, and we should always be ready to give a witness to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. This is the same Peter that when he was asked to give a witness, do you know Jesus, he said, absolutely not. Don't have a clue who the guy is. This is the same Peter, right? And I feel like the Lord wants me to share right now, this isn't even in my notes, but man, like, when you come to know Jesus Christ, like, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God descends upon you like a dove, exactly as he did Jesus Christ. It is the same Spirit. It's the same Spirit in Jimmy that's ministering in a church in Georgia right now. It's the same Spirit that's in the hearts of you guys, and you're listening to this sermon going, God, what are you saying to me? It's the same Spirit. But, like, exactly the picture that we have of Peter who epically failed before Caiaphas, the high priest, when asked if he knew the Lord, is now proclaiming, man, um, that be always be ready for, to give a, a defense and always be ready to witness for the sake of the kingdom. I was thinking about, like, Jimmy and I have been bowling on Sunday nights after youth ministry. Man, it's been so much fun. Like, you know, we were, we were bowling, me, Preston, Coop, uh, Jimmy, and I don't think Eric was there anyways. We had a couple guys, and we're in there bowling, man. I got this new ball, you know, and it, and it hooks real hard, you know. It's not those house balls, you know, where you just throw it straight down the lane and pray that you just hit the first and second pin and they all blow up, right? No, man, this thing's got some hook to it, you know. You just, and you just watch it, and it's, it's nice, man. So I don't know how Jimmy got me talked into buying a stinking bowling ball, but indeed, I did buy a bowling ball. But, man, it was like we, we, were, we were in there and we're playing. On, uh, we played the last couple Sunday nights, and there's a, a couple guys playing next to us. And, and the, the, this guy comes over, and he just starts befriending us. His name was Dan. Um, Dan Mays was his name. And he just comes over, and he, start, he says, man, you guys look like you're having a good time, man. He's asking us, how long have you guys been friends, you know, and this and that. And this guy's probably in his late 40s. And you could tell, man, he was drawn to the presence of the Lord amongst friends that were just gathering together bowling, like, he wasn't drawn to my strike-throwing abilities, I promise you. I wasn't throwing very many strikes. He was drawn to the presence of the Lord. And so um, always be ready to be of witness in the communities that you serve and live and, and where you work. Like, this is so important. In order for you to see the kingdom break out in your life, you need to be ministering the gospel. That doesn't mean that you crack people over the head like a sounding gong, you know, like, megaphone style on the corner, that's not what it means. It just means like every single encounter that you have with every person at work, even in church, your neighborhood, always be ready to give a witness for Jesus. doesn't mean that you have to memorize some specific verse of scripture or some like elevator pitch, right? Like in sales, they'll tell you, know your elevator pitch. That way when someone meets you, you give them your business card and you tell them your elevator speech. That's not how we witness for Christ. Like, you just live, like you just do life, like you just be the resurrected self that God has, has uh, given you the ability to do. Like you, you, he's given you um, a, a, a new heart. He has given you a new spirit. Like, you, you know, in 1 Corinthians says you are a new creation in Christ Jesus when you come to faith. Let's get to verse 18 through 20 here. This is deep, man. We're, I'm going to kind of switch gears on you guys because Peter, man, this is what I like about Peter. He's kind of like a hooking bowling ball. You know, you just think it's going straight, and then it turns and just poof, pins explode, right? That's what Peter does for us right here. Verse 18 through 20, he says, For Christ 
also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Get this, verse 19. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, hmm, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. Woo! A little heavy there, folks. I'm excited to get into this with you. I know Jimmy has preached about this before, but it's super important to note that Jesus had descended before he ascended, right? Jesus descended before he ascended. And you may say, well, where did he go? Let's look real quick. I want to turn to Luke 16, 19 through 31. Bear with me. Luke 16, 19 through 31. This is not in your bulletin. Feel free to turn there if you'd like. Don't have to. I'm going to read you the story, though, of the rich man and Lazarus. We're going to talk about what is the difference between um, Hades and Abraham's bosom. Those may be two terms that you've never even, you say, what the heck, a bosom? What in the world? Look, we're about to get into it, okay? There was a certain rich man, this is Luke 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in tormented in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all of this, between us and you, there is a a great gulf fixed, like a bay. So that, excuse me, those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. This is the rich man begging Abraham to send Lazarus to go tell his brothers on earth that he is tormented in Hades. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Woo! Man, that's intense. We have this vision, this picture of a rich man in Lazarus, right? The rich man on earth had a wonderful life, a prosperous life, man. He was high on the hill, right? And then you had Lazarus who was so sick and poor, and the dogs were licking his sores on the gate of the rich man's palace. Could you imagine? Like, think about that. Like, think about this guy begging at the gate of the rich man day in and day day night for a place to sleep and food to eat, and the rich man's dogs are licking this man's sores. But things get flip-flopped once they cross over into eternity, right? Lazarus is over here uh, in Abraham's bosom, nice and cozy, while the rich man is over here 
in uh, Hades. So it's, this is this bizarre idea that we have two parts of, of the depths of hell. There are two different parts. Now, I could preach for days on this, and I'm not going to, but I wanted to make sure that you guys understood what the Lord is saying here. And, excuse me. It's an important distinction to know that, I mean, I could, I could go on and on about how Lazarus could actually, it's bizarre that he had vision into uh, Hades, right? Lazarus could see into Hades. He could see that these people were miserable, yet he wasn't himself. But when Jesus descended, like to go back to 1 Peter 3, when Jesus descended, he went to Abraham's bosom and gathered the Old Testament saints who were kind of in a holding tank, so to speak. And that is what we know as Abraham's bosom. So Jesus went down there, he gathered the Old Testament saints, and then took them with him as he ascended to heaven and cleansed the throne of heaven that we can picture as heaven above, right? Not below. But it's it's interesting to note that all the Old Testament saints dwelt in Abraham's bosom. But while Jesus was down there, he didn't just grab the Old Testament saints. What did he do? He preached the word. He said, dudes, it's done. Like, it's finished. You have no power over sin and death anymore. I just went on the cross. I just shed my blood for everyone who would have faith in me. And all of them, including the ones I'm taking with me right now, every person after this, who looks to the cross, believes upon the person of Jesus, will be saved. And that is good news for us. And you may say, well, who is he preaching to? Like, what is, what is, what is going on there? If you if you'll remember in Genesis, when Satan first rebelled, right? Sin first entered the heart of Satan. He wanted to be like God and therefore rebelled. A third of the angels rebelled with him. The angels, why is Peter talking about Noah? These angels procreated with women upon the earth. Angels procreated with women upon the earth and created these hybrid beings. Like we're deep into some heavy scriptural stuff here, but it's true. That was one of the primary reasons for the flood. Satan had to destroy the bloodline of humanity in order to prevent Jesus Christ from coming on the cross to die for the sins of the world. So he was attempting to procreate with the women to mix up the bloodline. So God's like, eh. The wickedness of man needed to be swept away. And so only eight people, Noah, his three sons, and all of their wives were saved on the ark. Right? But it's it's very intense to know that is, guys, when Jesus went to preach to uh, it went down to Hades and to Abraham's bosom. He gathered the Old Testament saints and he preached the truth of the gospel to those fallen angels, the demonic angels. You guys need to know, Satan is not our only adversary. But here's the best news about Satan. He's not omnipresent. God is omnipresent. God can be at all places, at all times, whenever, wherever, however he wants, it's on him. That is, Satan cannot do that. Satan is not omnipresent. He is nothing more than a fallen angel, okay? But he does have a posse of boys. He's got a gang of people that are ready to wreck your life if you're not careful. These are the people that are building up strongholds on your life. I shouldn't say people. They're angels. They're fallen angels. They're demons. And they're real. If you think they're not real, you've been deceived. 
fallen angels, a third of them, there has to be millions. I don't know. The Bible's not clear on exactly how many there are, but there are a lot of them. There are enough of them for them to build up strongholds in everyone in this room's lives. I know that. And that's what we're getting to here. Point number two, we must remember that the only weapon our adversaries have against us are lies. These are the very bricks that build up strongholds in our life. These enemies are the ones that are giving you trouble. I think a lot of times we ascribe challenges in our life to Satan himself. It's probably not him. (laughs) Satan's got really big fishes to fry, right? Satan's knocking on Billy Graham's you know, door, I'm just, you know, that's a a little bit of a flippant example, but he's got big fish to fry. He's not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time, but he will commission his crew of of demons to come out and wreck and destroy and, and pursue his purposes for your life, which is nothing but evil. And so that's who we're fighting against. And so Jimmy next week is going to be bringing the word on Ephesians 6 and talking about how do we prepare for this battle? How do we prepare for this war? Why is it important that we have the helmet of of salvation, you know, and, and the sword of the word of God, etc. Jimmy's going to talk about that. But I, I want to make sure that he doesn't bring the word on that and you guys go, what battle? This is the battle. You and I are fighting against demonic spirits, okay? But here's the good news, guys. Peter goes on in th- 21 through 22 and says this. Who formerly were disobedient... When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, sorry, I already read this, but I'm reading anyway. While the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is only eight souls, were saved through water. There's also an antitype which now saves us, it's baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God Angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. I'll repeat on verse 22. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels, authorities, powers having been made subject to him. This includes the demonic posse that tries to trip us up throughout our lives. Okay? Point number three. All authority... Under heaven and earth is Jesus's. All authority under heaven and earth is Jesus's. Angels, demons, authorities, and powers, they have nothing to stand on on our king. Nothing, guys. That is ultimately the good news here. We are, we are in, a, in a position here where, um, you know, Peter talks about baptism. We're going to have a baptism here um, Easter Sunday, I would encourage you, if you know someone um, that is considering a decision for baptism, to reach out to Jimmy or myself, and we would love to, uh, to celebrate that commitment with you. But what Peter makes sure, makes sure that is clear is baptism is not the dunking in the water so that, you know, you, you forgot to bathe or something, right? Like you're a little stinky. That's not it, man. It is nothing more than a, I know Jimmy has hammered this home, and, and, and I'm going to do it again for for another 30 seconds, is that baptism is nothing more than a reflection of the inward change that has happened. Like, you were deciding to get baptized, that you were were confessing faith in Christ, and you you were acknowledging that you were dead in your sins, and that you were being risen to new life in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, 
But what I want to what I want you uh, to ask yourself is: Are the benefits of the resurrection manifesting in your life? Are the benefits of the resurrection manifesting in your life? Strongholds prevent us from experiencing the benefits of the resurrection in our life. If you are in Christ, you are risen from the dead. Go back to point three. All authority under heaven and earth is Jesus's. Angels, dominions, wickedness, authorities, powers, nothing can stand on our king. That's like Romans 8, like 101, right? There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ. Nothing. And so for those that are in Christ, we need to live victoriously. It takes some commitment. There is some onus on our part. It is by grace alone and faith alone in Jesus Christ alone that we are saved. No, without question. But we have a responsibility to fight. Guess what? Like we talked about last week, the demons and Satan himself, they never sleep. They never sleep. He's always crouching at the door. So if you think that he's not after your life, you've been fooled. And so I want to make sure that you guys know that you have a good conscience, like Peter says, toward God. A good conscience knowing that you are indeed fighting the fight of faith in your life and that you are indeed laboring for those around you as you seek to minister the gospel. Like Peter said, always be ready to give a witness. Always be ready to give a witness. If you have not positioned yourself in a way where you are ready to give a, a witness, then you're missing out on the blessing to, to serve the king. He, he loves you the same. Look, if, you're, if, your life, uh, if you're making decisions in your life that are contrary to the word of God, he still loves you the same. He hates the sin, but he loves you the same. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. However, you're missing out. You're missing out on a blessing. Like if you have a stronghold in your life, if it's this particular sin, cut it out. Jesus said better to cut your right, if, this, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Better for you to go into kingdom maimed without a hand than to, go and, than to let sin destroy your life. Strongholds will wreck your life. We all have, some of us have big walls, some of us have small walls, but they're all lies. That's all it is. And we have power through Jesus Christ, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have power to tear down those walls, to get rid of the sin in our life, to let the, 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 the comfort of God, the power, the love, and the sound mind that God gives us, let us... Let that breathe life into us, and we have victory over fear. Like, I believe that relational fear is one of the greatest tactics of the, of the enemy today. And I don't mean the enemy, just Satan. I'm talking about Satan and his posse of all those demonic angels that we talked about. A massive gang of evil. And I, I don't preach that hard so that you're scared. We're talking about how Christ has overcome. All authority is given unto him, but I preach that hard so that you know next week when Jimmy talks about building up the armor of God in your life, and this is the part where you take your faith serious and start fighting the battles in this life with the knowledge that the war has already been won, 
been won. That's the big idea. You and I are fighting an invisible battle, but Christ has already won the war. Like, that is such good news. You think about a war, right? It's comprised of a bunch of different battles. The crazy thing is, is 2,000 years ago, that war was won. Like, it's done, man. Like Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. There is nothing that you and I can add to the fact that we have eternal life with Christ forever and ever. That was done by the blood alone on the cross and the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. But we're not in eternity yet. We have started our eternal lives. We are new creations in Christ Jesus, but we're still fighting an enemy who is absolutely insane. He is insane. He's already lost the war, but he's still fighting battles. And that's just something that we have to deal with on this side of eternity. And so um, I just want to encourage you guys to consider what is it that you're dealing with? What strongholds, as we close out this, this short two-week miniseries, what are the strongholds in your life that you need to sit with the Lord on? Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.